Well, welcome back to the Biblical Eldership Podcast. Dave Anderson here with the author of the new and revised Biblical Eldership, Alex Strack. We're looking at chapter four today, qualified leadership. Alex, you make this statement in the beginning of chapter four, the, that the biblical qualifications help define biblical elders. What do you mean by that? Well, there's two things that help us define biblical elders. One is the qualifications. And remember, in the qualifications are certain capacities. Um, Elders must uh, hold firm to the trustworthy word. They must be able to teach and sound doctrine, refute the gainsayer. Um, So we find out uh, about their character and some of their duties. And then you put this together with the chapter on shepherd leaders, all that a shepherd is to do, you're going to have a pretty good uh, description of what a biblical elder is. So when people say, well, we don't know what elders do, or they say it's not in the Bible, that's simply not true. You've got a great story uh, or, or quote from Jerome who, who uh, translated the uh, Latin Vulgate. Uh, but he says, uh, many build churches nowadays, their walls and pillars of glowing marble their ceilings glittered with gold, their altars studded with jewels. Yet to the choice of Christ's ministers, no heed is paid. <laughs> I thought that's the perfect perfect quote for this chapter. It also shows that this is an old problem of right. not taking seriously right. the right. qualifications. And these are God's qualifications, by the way, right. and uh, bypassing them. Yeah, the Lord values character, obviously, in these qualifications. I think of that Paul Tripp quote you've got. What should strike every leader about this list of, of leader qualities? The thing that jumps off the page is that above everything else you want in a leader, God values character. That's, that's it. Well, in the Lord's work, character is everything. Character is the currency. It, if we lose that, we lose everything. And it's, it, it is fascinating, and it's, it's one of the main features of this book, of the emphasis that, that the Lord places on character, character over giftedness. Well, elders lead by example, and there are to be examples of Christ-like living. And so we have here what God demands of those who will care for his people. So you go through these qualifications, you start with the First Timothy 3 passage, and, and one thing that that passage highlights is this qualification of desire and i think this is something that people don't think a lot about why is why is having an internal desire important do you think well i think you need to take the first timothy 3 passage and put it together with acts 2028 where paul says the holy spirit made you placed you appointed you as overseers for the express purpose to pastor the church of god so this desire ideally speaking should come from the holy spirit he gives you the motivation gives you desire he gives you the gifting and the only elders we want are those who we see some evidence that the holy spirit has given them this desire uh, from within their hearts to uh, care for the Lord's people. But then remember, immediately after the, the issue of desire comes objective qualifications. Desire is not enough. Some right. people, their right. desire may be sinful. Right. You know, they want to control people or they might have uh, uh, unrealistic views of who they are. So immediately in verse 2, we're faced with objective qualifications that must match the desire. Just on a, on a practical note, I think 
to me, this is this is brilliant or important. This this uh, qualification of desire, because if you don't have the desire, you're going to end up being a minimalist. You're going to end up doing uh, just the bare minimum. It's it, you're not going to, you know, in terms of shepherding people, vision casting, you, you get worn down and you end up just doing very little and it hurts the team it hurts the eldership team well that's exactly what peter says in first peter 5 not by compulsion but willingly as god would have it in other words god wants you to have a willing voluntary spirit right so elders need to continually think and, and analyze their own desire you know that desire can go up and down and sometimes when it's going down you ask the lord to rejuvenate you and refresh you uh, that's very normal because the work is hard and we all get discouraged at times. Right. Things don't go real well. And we wonder, do I really want to do this? Right, right. You, you go on in that passage in 1 Timothy 3, and, and uh, Paul goes on and talks about let them be examined. Uh, how does this work out? What is this? Why is this important? This is very important. What good are qualifications? They're empty words on a piece of paper if you don't examine someone. So in chapter 3, verse 10, the deacons as well as the overseers are to be examined. Then let them serve after they have proved themselves blameless. So there must be some form of assessment. Does this deacon, does this candidate for eldership meet the biblical qualifications? This has got to be one of the most common mistakes uh, churches make, that they, they want to rush someone in. Maybe they're super talented, gifted, and uh, they end up sort of pushing someone forward, uh, making someone an elder, recognizing him as an elder, and he's not met the qualifications, and it turns into a fiasco. Definitely. Uh, then in, in Titus, we go through the Titus passage, Titus 1. Um, one of the key features of that section uh, is that Titus uses these three different words, uh, elders, overseers, uh, stewards. T talk to me about why this is significant. Well, first of all, David, um, most people are not familiar with the Titus 1 passage. They're all familiar with 1 Timothy 3, but Titus is extremely important, and it parallels the 1 Timothy 3 passage. And in this passage, he addresses the elders— and then he switches to the term overseer, and then he switches to God's stewards. So each of these terms, again, comes back to telling us who the elders are, what they do, because both their character is brought out here and their uh, service. Let's talk about these three words. Uh, and this is one of those examples where it, 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 I think it's important to get into the weeds a little bit on, on these three different words. But presbuteroi, um, this, of course, is elder, uh, overseer, episkopos, and oikonomos, God's steward. Talk to me what these three different words mean and how they help uh, help us understand what the office of an elder is. Yes. Um, presbuteroi is the common word all through the Old Testament over a hundred times of a community, honored community leader. And it emphasizes maturity, dignity, wisdom and honored leader of the community. Uh, it also emphasizes wise counsel and teaching respectability. So it emphasizes more the character, the person. The word overseer, this emphasizes more the function. 
uh, someone who watches over uh, a superintendent would be an actually a very good English translation. Doesn't have a special religious idea. An official guardian. It's a person who has official responsibility. Now, both these terms are used interchangeably, and we need both terms to describe biblical elders. And that's what our whole purpose is, to accurately describe biblical elders. And then the third one, God's steward, uh, what, what's significant about that word? Well, a modern English translation would be administrator. The really important thing is God's, God's administrator, God's steward. And the word steward um, is uh, a word that has a two uh, components to it. First of all, trustworthiness. Um, and then the second component is competency. So God's administrator must be a faithful, competent person because he's caring for God's children and he must have some level of competency to oversee. So overseer, steward, very similar. But the beauty of this word is the addition of the mm -hmm. qualifying word God's steward. Right. And man, man, carries the idea of management too, right? Oh, definitely. Management, administration. So in 1 Peter is the, the next passage uh, you look at. And what does, what does Peter offer to this, this whole discussion on qualified leadership? Well, I think the really interesting thing is it parallels Paul. There's no contradiction between Peter and Paul. In fact, in the first uh, Peter 5 passage, uh, interesting, uh, he uses uh, elders. He's speaking to the elders of all these different churches over the whole north of today, modern-day Turkey, a broad area with many churches, he's speaking to the elders, plural. And he gives them the job, the verb, shepherd, and then he adds the participle, exercising oversight. So we have all three terms here. You say in the top of uh, page 64, it's significant that the New Testament provides more instruction on the qualifications for elders than on any other aspect of eldership. Isn't that interesting? In other words, it's important to God. One of the things I think uh, Peter highlights, or I love how he, how he says it, but uh, this, he punctuates this need for examples. Elders are to be examples uh, to the flock. He says, not domineering uh, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Why? Why? I mean, maybe this is obvious, but I'd like to hear you explain why it's important that elders are examples. Well, First of all, it's in uh, conjunction with lording it over, dominating the congregation. Something very interesting here, seldom spoke about. He says, do not lord it over those in your charge. In other words, God actually puts a, the literal word would be allotment or portion of his people, of the flock, under the care of these elders. That's a very interesting idea. They are not to dominate or lord their authority over this allotment of people that God has given the shepherds. Instead, and it goes right along with what Jesus teaches, they're to be living, walking, talking examples to the people. And you know, that's what sticks in people's right, minds right. more than anything else. That's how people Living learn. Living example. Yeah, this is how people learn. 
It's a sad reality. They'll forget our sermons, but uh, they remember our lives. Oh, they remember our lives. Charles Spurgeon, you've got this quote here. A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. I'll just read the whole thing. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as pounds and his words as pence. If his life and his doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. A man may know a great deal about truth and yet be a very damaging witness on its behalf because he has no credit to it. That is true. (laughs) He Uh, has his unique way of saying things. Yes, Spurgeon. Uh, Let's talk about the qualifications and how they are necessary for all elders. It's interesting. There's no separate list of of qualifications for, you know, the ordained clergy and another list for, for lay elders. Why is this? Well, this is extremely important because we have already talked about parity. You can't have plurality without parity. And what is significant here is there's no separate list of qualifications for the clergy or the priests or uh, the senior pastor. All elders, those who support themselves, those who are supported by the church, must meet uh, these standards. So it's very important in understanding eldership again. Now, some churches have maybe more in the Presbyterian uh, circles will have three offices. Uh, some have two offices. Some listening to this are saying, what are you talking about? Explain the debate here and what why this is important. Well, some would say uh, there are three offices. You have the minister, minister of the word, different terms used. And he is ordained and he may have exclusive rights to administer the Lord's Supper, preach, give the blessing, baptize, where the others are called lay elders or ruling elders, and then you have your deacons. So um, not all Presbyterians hold to that. George Knight, who is a marvelous Bible uh, expositor, uh, he holds to the two offices. And so you would find people like John Murray also would hold to two offices, not three. Uh, you talk about the right temperament for shepherd leadership. Why, why do you talk about this? Why, is, why does this matter? Well, because our work is people work. We shepherd people. And um, if you look at the qualifications carefully, you will see that they give you the right skills and the right temperament to lead God's people, starting out with your wife, right. a husband of one wife, faithful to your wife, and fatherly duties, fatherly competency. And then a very big one that covers several qualifications is self-control, right. personal integrity, relational skills, cannot be arrogant or quarrelsome or quick-tempered or violent or domineering, hospitable. All of these are relational skills. Right, right. Now, some people might ask, okay, Look, this this list these these lists of qualifications. This is just can anybody even do this? Uh, is this even attainable? Is this possible? Certainly, I can't do it. People reading this thinking that this is uh, is this demanding some kind of sinless perfection. How do you answer people when they ask you that? I think if you put the qualifications together and don't press them to some extreme, what you have here is a mature Christian. It's what we all should be like. All of us have areas of weakness, uh, areas where of imperfection that we need to work on. 
Uh, we can all improve in almost every one of these areas. But right. this is a description of a mature Christian man. Uh, you mentioned Benjamin Merkel, author of uh, The Elder and Overseer, One Office in the Early Church. He, he makes a great comment here. Uh, some of the qualifications are not necessarily black or white issues, but have varying degrees of compliance. And he, of course, gives the example of self-control. Any other comments on that? Well, some of them are not yes and no answers. And self-control is a good one. In some countries, uh, uh, I think of some countries in Europe where self-control is a very, very big issue. And the people biologically seem to be very self-controlled. And then you can go to other parts of the world where uh, things are just more laid back and uh, things are not pressed so hard. So you'll have to decide uh, the qualification of self-control based on uh, the overarching qualification, which is above reproach. Right. So that's how we answer every one of these qualifications. Is the candidate for eldership or deaconship uh, above reproach in these areas of right. self-control? This raises the issue of, of leadership training. Let's say you've got someone who uh, really is qualified overwhelmingly but lacks uh, you know, need some training in some particular area. How, how does, I guess, how does leadership training factor into all this? Well, in developing elders, and we'll be talking about this later, no one should be an elder who hasn't been trained by the elders and by the church and uh, approved. They should know their doctrine. They should know where they're strong, they're weak. So let's say an elder does lack in the area of self-control or he has a problem with some money issues or he's lacking in certain areas of doctrinal competency. This is where old-fashioned discipleship comes in. Right. You work with the people. I would say in the past, I would say that maybe a good third of the candidates we bring forth have some area of lacking uh, competency or qualification and then we work with that person. Right. Right. You mentioned a concern you have, and you, you even refer to a poster on your wall that says, if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. Uh, talk about this concern you have just for the future of the church, future uh, leaders in the church. Well, if there's any doctrine that we see all through the pastoral epistles, it's um, teaching, teaching, teaching. Um, the Christian movement was a teaching, preaching movement right from the beginning with Jesus Christ being the great teacher. Right. Then he sends out 12 apostles and they are to teach what Jesus taught and make disciples. So we are a teaching educational institution and we need to be training our people in the teachings of Christ and not assume they know all these things. I'm afraid they don't. We live in the entertainment age where people are just being sidetracked with movies and sports and so many distractions. They're not reading and studying. So we need to challenge them and we need mm -hmm. to make sure, as Paul said to the Ephesian elders, he said, I did not shrink from te teaching you the whole counsel of God. Right. One of the most important qualifications is this emphasis on being committed to apostolic doctrine and you've got a, a great quote in page 67 it doesn't matter how successful a man is in his business how eloquently he speaks or how intelligent he may be if he isn't firmly committed to historic apostolic biblical doctrine and able to instruct people in this doctrine accordingly he does not qualify as a biblical elder you know, I mentioned this earlier, but Titus 1.9 is yeah. so important. The whole Titus passage is so important. Right. But he concludes with 
um, the qualification that a candidate must hold firmly, or we could translate that, cling tenaciously to the trustworthy word as taught, which means the gospel as taught by the apostles. He must have a firm, unshakable commitment to apostolic teaching for two purposes. One is that he can instruct in sound doctrine, and the other is that he can refute the false teacher. Right. Sometimes we don't emphasize that, but every elder must be able to open his Bible, instruct in basic Christian living, and answer questions about the gospel from the Bible, and he must be able to spot a false teacher, have the courage and the competency to refute that person, rebuke that person. So we bring uh, chapter four to a close, this chapter on, on qualifications. Any other closing comments you have? It's just so important. Uh, God thinks it's important. The apostles think it's important. And it's emphasized in the New Testament. So I would just say this. When we think of bringing on new elders, training new deacons, we have to be serious about helping them meet these qualifications. If they don't, we work with them more. We take more time. We show them areas of weakness. For example, an elder uh, cannot be a, a quick-tempered person. Some men have a temper problem. We can work with that. Mm -hmm. There's good things to read on that. We can hold them accountable. So we just have to take seriously the examination of each elder, take time to train them, know who our elders are, and take seriously all of this teaching on qualifications. Very good. Thanks, Alex. Biblical Eldership Resources is committed to equipping church elders to help them be effective, godly leaders of the church. Please consider donating to the ministry so that we can continue to provide essential eldership resources for church elders around the world. To donate, go to biblicaleldership.com.